we're going to pray today, and I do have a word for you, and it's found in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 9 and 10. Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 9 and 10. And it reads, And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Father, we love you, we adore you, we honor you, and we thank you for this moment in your service, in your worship time, where we can hear from you, Father. Speak through me, God. Help me to make it clear, Father. Give me the proper examples, Father, so that I can make your word live for your people, Father. We love you. We ask a special prayer for a blessing upon our pastor as he uh, spends his time in your presence, Father. Revive him, rejuvenate him, give him what he needs to fulfill the plan that you have for his life, Father. We love you. We honor you. And Lord, save someone in this house today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, it's funny because this message actually came out of, and I'm going to be, today's going to be one of those transparent days um, when I'm preaching because this actually came out of me going through a time where I was just very sad and very uh, heavy. And I didn't quite understand why it was. I didn't quite get it. Because, like, I, I would be at lunch, y'all just sitting down eating, and just start crying. And I'm like, now some say it's menopause, but you know, I don't know. But, and it could be that. It could be that I'm, in, I'm, I'm heading in that direction, and so I'm very emotional, because it did feel a lot like, you know, when you're pregnant, a lot of times women just, everything just makes you upset, and you just get, you're overly emotional. But lately, I have just been very, even this morning, I just had this heaviness, heaviness, heaviness over me, and um, it, it was causing me to wonder, you know, the Bible talks about the joy of the Lord and that, you know, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And I'm here every Sunday. We rehearse. I serve. I do all these things. And I like to think that I'm a good Christian. So if I'm a Christian, why am I falling short in the joy department? Because joy is something God wants us to have because it's a fruit of the spirit. So obviously there's something going on that is causing me to not experience the joy that I need to experience. Now, let's talk about for a second this idea of what joy is. And I think for me, that probably was the first place where I said, oh, maybe some of my issues are coming because I don't know what true joy is. So let's talk about true joy and what true joy looks like. True joy um, is joy that's centered on God. True joy is joy that's centered on God. Psalm 32, 11 says, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Stop right there. 
There's one of the issues. It says, one, be glad in who? The Lord. Some of the challenges is that, and that joy, that word joy, that word means a calm delight. It means joy, gladness, cheerfulness. So a calm delight, when I read that, that kind of made me excited because, you know, I can be very hyper and sometimes I'm very expressive and my voice goes really high and I'm like, oh, I'm so excited. And that to me is my, when, when I think about joy, that's what I think about. But when I think about a calm delight, it's like when you say something is delightful, it's like it's deep down within your soul. It's like, man, I'm delighted at that. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. So there is a, there is a, that word again, heart. So a calm delight, it's almost a kind of delight where no matter what I'm experiencing, no matter what I'm going through, no matter what the situation, I'm, first of all, I'm calm, so I'm steady. But then in the midst of that, I'm also delighted and I'm excited and I'm happy. And I'm like, wow, God, this comes from my connection with you. So then, if true joy means just it's centered on God, but I didn't have true joy, then maybe something was wrong with my centering. Maybe my joy was coming from a source other than God. And I often hear people say that happiness and joy are two different things, and they are because happiness is um, something that is situational. It is something that is based on external things. But joy is supposed to be based on, and the intent is that it be based on something that's internal because God lives inside of us, and our joy comes from the fact that we know that he saved us, the fact that we know that he's God, he doesn't change, he's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So the joy is not so much in the moment, but in the isness of who God is. So even if I'm here every Sunday, even if I'm opening up the church and locking it up and teaching a class and, and talking to people during the week, if there's a disconnect from me and the isness of God, I'm not going to have any joy. It's like this, this, and why am I using the mic when I have a lapel mic? I'm sorry. I totally forgot. So... Some of you may have seen my nephew. He's so well behaved that I know you probably never noticed him um, when he was here. But he's here and he's three years old. And so we were out shopping the other day and um, he wanted this toy um, truck, which he does not know I'm using. Um, and we said, you know, Uncle Don said, sure, no problem, we'll get it for you. So we got it and when we brought it home, tried to use it, and it didn't work. And I was like, I don't understand. It's brand, it's new. There's, you know, we feel like everything that we need for it to work is there, but it's still not working. So I figured, okay, first it was we didn't have the proper batteries. So I had to go to the store, and I had to get these. I had AAA batteries. and needed AA batteries. So I said, okay, that's the problem. I go, and I try to fix it by getting the right proper batteries. So now I, got the, I have the proper batteries for it to work. Then 
oh, I need a nine volt battery for this. Cause, so this is the controller. This is the thing that tells it what to do. So I went to the store, I got a nine volt battery, put the nine volt battery in, but it still didn't work. So at this point, I'm puzzled cause it's new, so it should be working. All the things that it needs to work are there and in place, but yet there's no connection. So this truck is equipped to follow the instructions that are sent to it from this controller. But what was going on was, what I first discovered was, there's some things in here called contacts. And the contacts, if, if the battery is in there, but it's not touching the contact, then the controller isn't getting the signal. So it's not getting the store, it's not getting the power that it needs in order to be able to operate. So we fixed that, but it still wasn't working. So my connection with the controller, no issue with the controller, we good. Controller works, controller is fixed, knows what to do, has its power, is ready to go. But the car wasn't working. So we put the batteries in and y'all see this? Now look at this. Is that supposed to happen? There's a spring in here made out of metal that's supposed to hold this in place and it's called a contact. And that contact keeps everything going. But because I can't fix it because it's not there, there's nothing I can do. I can get every battery with the full strength, the full power, everything that it needs. But because there's no contact between the battery and the device, this is useless. That's a lot of times what happens in our lives spiritually. We become inoperative and ineffective because there's no contact. We become inoperative and ineffective because although I look, I'm dressed right, I'm sitting in church, so I'm, I look the part, but if you, open me up and look inside, there's some stuff missing. Not because it was not put there, but apparently somebody had this prior to me and broke it. And because it's been broken before I ever touched it, I can't use it. There are some things in your life that have broken you. There are some things in your life that are not allowing you to get the charge that you need. There are some things in your life that's inhibiting your contact with God. So what's happening is we are operating day by day and, and it looks good because let's look at first, I, I want you to see this verse that I'm, that I'm, I'm really focusing on here. It is in, um, it's in second, first Peter, um, four in, no, second Peter one, three through nine. And this is how it reads. It says his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. 
Through these, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped corruption in the world that's caused by evil desires. And it's for this very reason, make every effort to add faith to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. And here we are. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them, and this is where I was, is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Do you know what it means to be nearsighted? A nearsighted person only can see what's right in front of them. A nearsighted person, like if I say I'm nearsighted, coincidentally, without these glasses, it's a, y'all are a blur. I mean like I can't make, I can only make out shapes, I can, only, I can only figure it out on my own, but there's no sharpness, there's no quality. And what this, what this verse is saying is when we don't connect and when we don't pursue and, and, and remember and know that God has given us everything that we need to, um, for life and godliness, that we become blind and we become nearsighted. So that means that what I can see is what's right here. So, although things may be going on out there, God may be trying to get me to you. God may be trying to get me um, to something beyond me, but because what I can see blocks me, I walk in spiritual blindness. And it's that spiritual blindness that causes the contact to leave. And so what ends up happening is, a person who is blind walks with no direction. A person who is blind uh, walks and they have to kind of feel their way. They don't kind of know what's going on because they don't have um, vision to give them what they need. But when we connect with God and when we make sure the contact is proper and the contact is in place, we're able to see past the blindness. Now, there are things in our lives that causes us to be blind. One of the things that can cause us to be blind is hurt. Because when you've been hurt, just like this, the power falls out. And I don't care how many times I try to put that in, and I'm not bending down because I may fall. I don't care how many times I try to put that in. The only person who can, who can fix this, I got to bring it back to where I got it from. And even they are going to have to send it back to the manufacturer because it's the manufacturer who has the proper parts that are needed. Thank you, son. Who has the proper parts that are needed to put the contact back in place so that this can work the way it was intended to work. Sometimes when we're blinded spiritually, we try to use things like, let me take a piece of paper and stick some paper in here. Maybe that'll work. Let me stick that in there. Because it's going to give me, watch, it's not going to fall out no more. So, ta-da, I solved it. 
Yeah, but there's still no connection. There's still no contact because this was never meant to be in this place. And so when we operate in blindness, we use counterfeit things. We use substitutes for joy. We use relationships for joy. We use money for joy. We use our jobs, our careers for joy. We may even use church for joy, not seeking the one who we come to see, which is Jesus, but maybe the relationships. Or come on, it's, it's sad. you get a lot of satisfaction from seeing your pew people and, and seeing people here on Sundays and you make connections and you make, make relationships. I read the story about this guy who was it socialism was his thing that he used to replace joy but his socialism came through the church because the church had a singles ministry and so he would come to singles ministry and they would do programming and he would go to all the stuff and they would go out to eat afterwards and then what ended up happening was they got a new pastor and the pastor changed the programming that focused more on married people and the guy was not fulfilled and left the church because he felt like What's the point of me going to church if there's no ministry to meet my need and to serve this desire that I have? And what my husband calls it is a hole. He always says this. Let me, let me, I love you, honey. Yeah, um, it, he, is, he is a therapist. And as a therapist, he's always analyzing. Always analyzing. And... You know, you think you're having a regular conversation with him, and he didn't, he didn't analyze your cognitive restructuring and, you know, behavioral therapy. All these things are going on in his head. And I'm like, dog, I'm just saying, I just answered the question. I wasn't even thinking like that. But one thing he always tells me is, like, if he says something to me like, um, like, we were looking at my 600-pound life. And I had never seen it before. And the lady on there was struggling with a lot of stuff. So every time the lady would say something, he would look at me, and I said, I was like, why are you looking at me? First of all, I'm not 600 pounds. Let's start there. And if, we, if this is what we gonna do, this not gonna be, I can't watch this with you. And he said, I was just looking at you. So you got a hold for that. You got a hold for that. Because somebody somewhere told you a long time ago that they had an issue with your weight. And because you never dealt with that, anything that I do, you're gonna interpret as offensive because there's an emptiness right there for you. And you haven't plugged up that void with God. And because of that, we're gonna have an issue with our relationship, because we will. We're gonna have an issue in our relationship when we talk about weight not because I've done anything to offend you, but because somebody else did it and you didn't deal with the whole. And as a result, there can be no joy in our conversations about weight. <laughs> because I'm always thinking, you're trying to plug the hole. And, I, and we're not doing it. We're not doing it. So I'm saying, I'm saying that to say, and in the past, I have used relationships, and I have used 
other things to fill the hole. If you're on the beach and you dig a hole in the sand, when the water flush, rushes in, it's going to fill up with the water. A hole fills up with whatever comes to it. Because the hole is meant to capture. But as Christians and as we walk in this thing called joy, we have to remember that every hole that we have has been filled by God. But we have spiritual shovels. So we go in and we shovel. And the hole is filled, but we open back up. And then we fill it with something other than God. And then another thing happens. And you're upset because when I was growing up, my father was critical. So because my dad was critical to me, you know, every time you look at me funny and you say something about my clothes, now you, I feel like you're being critical about me. And all I was saying, all I said was tie your shoe. But because that's a hole, when I said it, it opened up and it took in what I gave and it's improperly filled. It's filled with counterfeit. It's got paper in it. It's got a substance in it that does not belong. And until you are able to remove the counterfeit, the thing that you are turning to that's taking you away from God, the thing that you are turning to that has exalted itself above the knowledge of Christ in your life, the joy of the Lord will escape you. Because the joy of the Lord comes from in his presence, there is fullness of joy. At his right hand, there are pleasures evermore. If you're going to experience the joy you need, you got to be in his presence. If you got sticks and stones and, and things in the hole where God is supposed to be, it's uncomfortable because what we tend to do is we're going to go for the thing that we have more control over. It's easier for me to deal with a stick and a stone than for me to deal with God because God's going to show me who I am. God's going to show me the pain that I've experienced. God's going to show me the trials and the tribulations that I've been through. So this idea of having disconnect is because we tend to use monopoly money to pay for transactions that should be paid for with real currency. And if you play monopoly and you play good, you think you got to go, you think, I'm a, boy, I'm a financial whiz. <laughs> but when you go to actually operate in the real world with the monopoly money, you'll realize how counterfeit that experience really was. So, when we come in to church, can I, can I have two chairs, two of those chairs? When we come to church, a lot of time what happens is, and I'm still talking about the joy, I haven't forgotten, but something that we have to, we, we gotta realize that, if, and this, is, this doesn't just deal with joy, this deals with all the promises of God. You got, put that one over there. So over here, thank you, over here you've got, I was saved. A lot of times as Christians, we don't have a big issue with dealing with the fact that God saved us. So we kind of deal with and understand that my salvation cleanses my sins, the things I did in the past. So we're okay with that. 
But what happens is there's a here and a now in your salvation. There's a right now, there's a present salvation that we have to deal with. And a lot of times, that's where we have our problems. And, and, and when we try to get to the here and the now, there's this chasm or this gap that needs to be filled because we aren't applying the knowledge that we're receiving every day of our life. In church, not just in church, but also in your affliction. Because the other thing about true joy is, true joy is present in suffering. True joy is present in suffering. What do you mean by that? Well, James tells us in the first chapter, he says, to count it all joy when you fall in various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. So what he's saying is, listen, you're going to have some issues. You don't go through some stuff, but you have to look at it from a different perspective because in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of what you're going through, it should be a joyful experience for you. Because remember what I said earlier, our joy isn't situational. Our joy is connected to the isness of God. And because God doesn't change, because God is faithful, and because we know that God only wants what is good for us, that even though we may be in the midst of a struggle, even though we may be going through a trial, even though it may not feel like it's something that we should be experiencing, even if we don't understand it, and even if we do, the joy of the Lord should be present in your, in your trials and your tribulations because it is based in God and he does not change. So there becomes a paradigm shift when you start thinking about your joy. So when I started thinking about the fact that I, I, I wasn't feeling the joy of the Lord and I started realizing that, oh, you know what? My joy was based on the fact that I get paid this certain amount on this job, but now the work is getting kind of uh, to be more than what I thought it was going to be. So now I'm upset and I'm sad because I want the money, but I don't want to do the work. So now my joy level goes down because now I feel like, Lord, why you did this to me? Now I asked for the job. Lord, why, why did you do this to me? Then I start thinking about, okay, you know, my nephew is here. I'm so glad that he's here. But my nephew is three, and three-year-olds have a mind of their own. And, and because he has a mind of his own, sometimes he doesn't listen to everything that I tell him to do. So now my joy level goes down because Arkeisha will tell you, when my nephew was coming, I thought I was going to be mother of the year. I was like, oh, my sister has the issues with him, but I'm going to bring him, I'm going to put him in camp. And some days when he's in camp, I'm not even going to take him to camp. We're going to go to the Children's Museum, which we have not been to yet. We're going to go to the Children's Museum, and we're gonna just, I'm going to take him to the movie because it's just going to be so wonderful, we're going to just be skipping and hopping. <laughs> However, in reality, my joy meter went down when I told him, do X, Y, Z, and he looked at me and said, I listen to my mama, I don't have to listen to you, huh? Where they do that at? 
But if my joy was in the fact that, God, you have given me this opportunity to pour into this child's life, you have given me this opportunity to give his mom a break and be able to love him and to be able to show him what Christ looks like, then my joy would stay up. But because my joy was based in something else, it went down. So it's got, like I said, it's, there has to be this thing where we're connected to God, where we're understanding that it comes from God. And the other thing is, and the is that we have to remember that our joy is intended to go on forever. It's intended to be continuous. Our joy is, true joy never ends because the word says in, in uh, Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. That, that word always is exactly that. It means continuously, without stop, over and over again. God intends for us to live a life of joy. But because joy is a fruit of the spirit, if you're not connecting to him and if we're not making contact with him and living in his presence, the joy barometer is gonna be a little shaky. So let's talk about Nehemiah, and this is, and as I, I'm wrapping this up. Nehemiah, um, in chapter eight, he's addressing the children of Israel. Now these children, though, are the children who are post-exile. So remember, we've talked about before where um, the Babylon, they went into Babylonian captivity and they were taken and that the Lord told them, you know, there were some prophets that were telling them it's not going to be long. You're not going to be here for a long time. But then God sent the true prophet to tell him, get comfortable, marry, get you some friends, build you a house, get you a job because you're going to be here for a while. Well, now we meet them where they've come out of that. So Nehemiah is talking to them. And basically what they have done is he and Ezra, who is a priest, that day they read to them for days the Revelation, the book of Revelation. And they read it to them nonstop. And the people sat there, and some of y'all ready to go right now. And these people sat there for days <laughs> as Ezra read the word of God to them. And when he finished reading the word of God to them, their response was weeping and mourning because the law was so, it was the standard. So basically for days and days and days at a time, they had been told that they didn't live up to the standard that God expected of them. Because you gotta think about something. They had just come out of captivity. So when you're in captivity, you gotta do what the people in captivity do. So a lot of their habits and their identity was tied up into, in, in their captivity. And Ezra had to bring them out of that and help them to get them focused again and help them remember who they were. So we meet them at this place of, of saying, you heard the word of God. I know that you feel like this is horrible. We're, never, we're not going to make it. I, I, I'm so repentant. And that's good. But Nehemiah is saying to them, listen, the fact that you listened, we just finished listening to the word of God. The fact that your heart is repentant. Don't be sad. This is a holy day. This is a day where we have reinstituted the law of God in our lives and we have declared that we're gonna, re we're gonna live according to that standard. So go to that verse for me. This day is holy to our Lord. And he said to them, do not sorrow for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So 
Why would we want to have true joy? Why, why did I know the fact that I was sad was a problem? Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And think about it like, and that word strength means our refuge, our hiding place, our stronghold, our strong tower. It's a military term for when the enemy comes in to try to, to uh, attack you. It's a fort, it's a fortress. So when you don't have joy, it suggests that your strength is weakened. When you don't have joy, it suggests that you don't have any place of refuge. Because remember, the joy is with God. So that makes sense because if I'm with God, he's going to protect me and I'm going to be okay. So I need to be in this place of, I'm in a place of strength because I'm in a place where I'm with God. So the way you have to look at that is, is you have to say the joy, which is the calm delight. So the calm delight of the Lord is my refuge. The calm delight of the Lord is my fortress. The calm delight of the Lord is my hiding place. The calm delight of the Lord is the place where I seek shelter. The calm delight of the Lord is the place where he encompasses me and he covers me and he surrounds me and he protects me. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And that's where I want to be. So when you're feeling sad or you're feeling like I, I just, there's a heaviness, the word of God says God has given us the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And in order for us to get into a place of joy, one of the places that happens is in worship. Because when you worship God, you call his presence in. When you worship God, you remind yourself and you remind God that I'm your child. You are my God. And I want to spend time with you. I want to relate to you. I want to be with you. And one of the, the, my favorite songs that Pastor Tim sings all the time, he used to sing all the time when we were at Destiny, was the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Would you lift your hands and just sing that with me? The joy of the Lord is my strength. We worship you, Lord. The joy of the Lord is my strength. We adore you, Lord. The joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is my strength. We worship you, Lord. We adore you. And we declare today that we acknowledge that your joy is our strength. Father, we ask for forgiveness for the times where we have allowed counterfeit things to come in and replace you, where we have filled the emptiness and the voids in our lives with something other than you.
we recognize today that true joy centers on you. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to live in never-ending joy. Allow our lives to line up with your word. Allow our thoughts to focus on your joy. And as we go through this week, let us experience your joy as we never have before. Because we declare in this moment that we're going to come after you. We're going to pursue you. We're going to live and abide in your presence. We're going to delight ourselves in you. Because we recognize and understand that that is our place of safety.